Our gospel lesson is from Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 13 through 35. And this is a passage that we've come to know as the Emmaus Road story. Hear now God's words to you. On that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to the village of Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they were walking and thinking about what had happened, Jesus came near and started to walk along with them, but they did not know who he was. Jesus asked them, what are you talking about as you walk along? And the two of them stood there looking sad and gloomy. Then the one named Cleopas said to Jesus, Are you the only person in Jerusalem who didn't know what has happened the last few days? What do you mean, Jesus asked. They answered, Those things that happened to Jesus from Nazareth. By what he did and said, he showed people that he was a powerful prophet who pleased God and the people. Then the chief priests and our leaders had him arrested and sentenced to die on a cross. We had hoped that he would be the one to set Israel free, but it has already been three days since all this happened. Some women in our group surprised us. They had gone to the tomb early in the morning, but they did not find the body of Jesus. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who told them that he was alive. Some men in our group went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus either. Then Jesus asked the disciples, Why can't you understand? How can you be so slow to believe all that the prophets said? Didn't you know that the Messiah would have to suffer before he was given his glory? Jesus then explained everything that was written about himself in the scriptures, beginning with the law of Moses and the books of the prophets. When the two of them came near to the village where they were going, Jesus appeared to be going further. They begged him, stay with us, it's already late and the sun is going down. So Jesus went into the house to stay with them. After Jesus sat down to eat, he took some bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and at once they knew who he was, but he disappeared. Then they said to each other, when he talked with us along the road and explained the scriptures to us, didn't it warm our hearts? So they got right up and they returned to Jerusalem. The two disciples found the eleven apostles and the others gathered together and they learned from the group that the Lord was really alive and had appeared to Peter. Then the disciples from Emmaus told what had happened on the road and how they knew it was the Lord when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. We as Presbyterians, of course, stand in the long tradition of Protestants. People like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and of course a host of others. And a part of that tradition is that we believe most strongly that we meet God, if we really want to know what God is like, through the pages of Scripture and through times of prayer. Now, of course, we're not going to limit the way God can be known. As St. Augustine told us, God has a private stairway into every heart. But these are two of the primary ways we talk about how we get to know God. Personal experience is important. Nobody wants to discount it. 
The problem, however, of course, is that personal experience can often take us down rabbit trails we really oughtn't to be going down. It requires that we spend time in the Word, in the book, and time engaging God in prayer if we're really going to understand what the faith is supposed to be. Now, certainly we can engage in the study of Scriptures privately, and we can pray privately, and we should be. There's nothing wrong with that. Indeed, there is everything right about that. But the truth is, we learn best about the faith when we engage in study together with fellow Christians. This Emmaus Road story that you heard read this morning really begins to help us understand why both this sense of prayer and this sense of studying together is important for us. Here we have two followers of Jesus. We always read the scripture and thought there were just 12, right? Well, clearly there was a good many more. Because here are two people, we don't even know who Cleopas was. The other guy's not named. They're walking, presumably, back to their home in Emmaus, and they're talking about what has happened over what we would call the end of Holy Week and Easter morning. And these people are clearly on the inside. They know too many things not to be. It's not like they didn't know what the other disciples knew. They knew the women had gone to the tomb and had seen, as they put it, a vision of angels. They knew that men, we know it was Peter, they just didn't name him, had also gone to the tomb and not found Jesus. So these are people who are insiders. They're walking along, they're listening to each other, they're reminiscing, and this stranger joins them and acts like he doesn't know what's going on. Well, that's always a good ploy if you want to get people to tell you what they're really thinking. And so they say, are you the only person in town that doesn't know what's happened? They say, what are you talking about? And so they began to explain their hopes for Jesus. They're even aware at some level that this is the third day and something was supposed to happen. But they waited a while and nothing seemed to happen, so they said, well, shoot, we might as well go home. And so off they head toward Emmaus. But Jesus, the stranger who is walking along with them, begins to open the Scriptures to them in a way they ought to have recognized, shouldn't they? It's not like He wasn't telling them things He hadn't told them before. But even now, the disciples don't quite get it. They remember later that their hearts are strangely warmed as they talk together. But they don't really fully understand. See, sometimes we forget that Jesus is very much in the tradition of Jewish rabbis. He was, if anything, a scholar of the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. He understood the Law and the Prophet. He knew what was going on. He used that as a basis to define his own ministry. But the disciples didn't get it. They, too, are supposed to be people of the book. But they didn't understand how often that is like us. We say we're people of the book. 
We say we hold the Bible to be some level of importance. And yet, how often we are mistaken, uninformed, or, pardon me, just plain ignorant about what the Scriptures really say. The truth is, if you wish to know something about God and what God expects from His people, we must become better at being people of the book. We must learn more. If we are to know Christ as He intended us to know Him, then we have to immerse ourselves also in the Word. Now, y'all know that. You've heard hundreds of sermons preached about it. The problem is, we often pretend as if the Bible is easy to read and understand. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's just not that simple, is it? Yes, we need private and individual Bible study. Of course we do. But unless we are well versed in the ancient languages and in the culture from which the Bible comes, we are apt to make some pretty serious mistakes, even grievous ones. Let me give you a simple example. For the better part of 2,000 years from the time Christ was on earth, the church assumed that owning slaves was the normal way of life. The people of Israel had been enslaved many times. The two we think of most is Egypt and Babylon. They owned slaves themselves. Slavery, they assumed, was the way it was. There is not one word that is said in the Bible that teaches us not to own slaves. You're not going to find it. So the church, for eons, assumed holding slaves must be okay. Now, does any one of you think it's okay to own somebody else? Well, why don't you? It's because the church began to apply by studying together those deeper meanings of Scripture and what it means to follow Jesus. And so bit by bit, we began to understand that it's simply wrong, deeply wrong, to own one of our fellow human beings. And the church made that a part of who we are as Christians. Makes me wonder sometimes, how much else are we missing now? What else are we not listening to? As, poor, as important as it is for each of us to engage in private, devotional, Bible reading and study, it's never enough. It takes the communal aspect of studying Scripture. Being in this place, hearing the Word proclaimed, engaging in that, being in Bible study, having the back and forth that the church has undergone when we gather together in a fellowship that makes us really grow. And if that's what we say we're going to do, uh, that's what we want to do, then it requires us to take that seriously. 
It's not enough to say we want to be people of the book, but we never open the book. It's not enough to say, well, I'll read the Bible on my own. The Bible is not simply personal interpretation. The Bible is bigger than that. And we must immerse ourselves not only in what we think we know, but ask those larger questions that the Christian community has been trying to ask and answer for decades and hundreds of years. This companion to our immersion in Scripture is always prayer. Prayer is a little bit harder to see in the text I read for you this morning. It's there, but you have to know what you're looking for. Jesus, walking along the road with His disciples, opened the Scriptures to them. Okay, that's easy. We see that. Where's prayer? Well, prayer is when Jesus allows Himself to be convinced to come in and to sit down with these two disciples who still don't know who He is. And He picks up the bread and He blesses it. Hear that? He blesses it and He breaks it. And suddenly they know who He is. Now, our illusion immediately when we hear the breaking of bread is to think communion. Well, yes. And I'm as certain as I can be that Luke intends for us to go down that track, at least in our minds. But this is not a communion service as Jesus breaks the bread. This is an act of praying over the food, breaking the bread for a common meal shared among friends. But this prayer is more than just a table blessing. It's not God is great, God is good. It's more than that. It is at its heart what prayer is supposed to be. It is true communion between God and us. It is what hooks us together. It's what allows us to not just read about God, but it allows us to enter in in some way to the very heart of God. To know God personally. Jesus, indeed, is a person of prayer. We know that, though sometimes we allow ourselves to forget it. How many times has prayer to God made a difference in your life? I suspect that you can't count the times. How many times have you needed reassuring you needed information. You needed something. And you found yourself going to the only place you knew. And it was, in essence, dear God, help me. Prayer is about connecting with God. The Scriptures, of course, are full of prayer everywhere we turn. We tend to think that prayer is, God, give me what I'm asking for today. Listen to some of the examples of prayer from Scripture. Tell me if you've ever prayed one of these. Do not forsake me, O Lord my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. 
You ever felt like that? Have you ever thought or felt, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Ever felt like that? Or have you ever been in a situation where you really deeply needed to say, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. Those are all the words of Scripture. That and 10,000 more. You ever felt like that? Most of us have. Most of us have prayed those prayers we didn't know that they were scriptural. But this story of two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus on Easter afternoon tells us more about how to get to know Christ and how we might recognize Him, how we might encounter Him. It also speaks about how Christ walks with us on our daily life journey, on the road to wherever our Emmaus may be going. Because Emmaus, in that sense, is not a place so much as it is a traveling theme. How often we are on the road from here to there, emotionally, physically, metaphorically. And how often it is that Jesus gets made known to us. And sometimes it's as simple as the praying and the breaking of the bread. Again, not necessarily communion. In the Middle East in Jesus' day, indeed it's true today, to have a meal with someone is to connect, is to connect on a fundamental and deep level. It is the greatest compliment you can pay someone to invite them to sit at your table. We talk about it in terms of hospitality. How deeply important it is for us to not only be hospitable, but to accept that hospitality that others extends to us. See, it was where two disciples in Emmaus sat at table with Jesus that they recognized. Don't take lightly where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. Jesus doesn't take that lightly. Jesus is here. But He's where we gather when we sit down to eat with the stranger or with our family or with our friend. Jesus is there. When we take seriously the eternal presence of God who is everywhere and always waiting to communicate with us, Jesus is there. When we are so wrapped up in ourselves that we couldn't see God if He came in a blinding flash, Jesus is there. The Emmaus Road reminds us that whenever, wherever we gather, here, out there in the world, in places we don't expect to find God, that's where Jesus comes to meet us. As we're going about this work, this task 
of being hospitable to each other. I hear people say, I want to know God. Show me Jesus. If you really want to know God, if you're really interested in making that deep connection with the living Christ, then you're going to find it in all the places you've always been taught. Through the Scriptures. Through prayer. And through that gathering of fellow believers together, wherever that occurs. That's how we get to know. That's how we become a part of that ongoing work of Easter. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.